Meet me on the softer side. Meet me on the softer side. Softer side of your heart. Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. You can find out about this and all of our other author events at www.skylightbooks.com, where you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online. You can also follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at Facebook.com. If you'd like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. And don't forget, Skylight Books depends on listeners like you to help support us. So whether you're in our neighborhood or browsing online, buy a book or two to help ensure that we'll be around for a long, long time. Thanks and enjoy. Because the, the first song or two uh, uh, are not on the sheets. But uh, I don't get to do this kind of thing but once a year. It's like singing Christmas songs. So I'm going to sing you a song that tells the story of why we celebrate May Day and what it means in terms of uh, an international workers' holiday. Because even though it's a a uh, lot more important in many countries around the world than it is here. Uh, it started here. And this is where and when it started. This song is called Haymarket Square. In 
Others called him Clubber John, the police inspector whose men were killed by whoever threw that bomb. They never found the culprits, they didn't even try or care. They were out to get the anarchists from the Haymarket Square. They convicted August Spice. Albert Parsons too, George Engel and Adolf Fisher, they were good men through and through. Lewis Ling cheated the hangman, the others got an answered prayer, and they crushed the eight-hour movement at the Haymarket Square. Albert Parsons' last words on the morning they were hung was let the voice of the people be heard and then the trap was sprung. There'll come a time when our silence, August spies declared, will be stronger than the voices you strangle today at the Haymarket Square. And when the dust had cleared, there were four ropes to hang them. There were prison cells for three whose lives were spared. But there wasn't any justice, but there wasn't any justice for the martyrs who led the strike, who led the strike at the Haymarket Square. was elected the governor of Illinois. He reviewed the trial transcript and concluded that it was not fair. And he pardoned Eby and Fielden and Schwab from the Haymarket Square. Well, you should have seen the headlines. Were they talking about someone else? You'd have almost thought that Governor Alcott had thrown that bomb himself. But it wasn't the Paris Commune, and he wasn't Robespierre. Just the one honest man who told the truth about the Haymarket Square. So you who earn your living by the sweat of your brow, be remember those who paid in full for you to live like humans now. There in Waldheim Cemetery, people come from everywhere and visit the graves of the heroes from the Haymarket Square. And when the dust had cleared, there were four ropes to hang them. There were prison cells for three whose lives were spared. But there wasn't any justice, but there wasn't any justice for the martyrs who 
led the strike at the Haymarket Square. No, there wasn't any justice for the martyrs who led the strike at the Haymarket Square. The strike didn't just take place in Chicago at Haymarket Square. It was a nationwide general strike, the same kind of thing that Occupy has tried to launch for May Day. Uh, and we have, uh, we have, they, they seem to have occupied the LA Times. <laughs> and uh, Marion will hand out these historic uh, newspapers. But what happened in Haymarket, imagine, in 1886, the struggle for the eight-hour day came to a, a, a critical mass. Not in the, during the New Deal, 1886. But as a result of what happened at Haymarket Square, the struggle for the eight-hour day was set back 50 years because it wasn't until 1935 in the New Deal that it became federal law. Incrementally, though, in between the New Deal and Haymarket Square, uh, there were efforts to, to uh, lower the number of hours that workers could be required to work, particularly in industries like the uh, mill towns of Lawrence, Massachusetts and Lowell, Massachusetts, up in New England, where most of the work was being done by teenage girls. And they were often working 15, 16, 17 hour days doing that work. They had been lured up there from big cities like New York and Boston uh, with advertising campaigns promising their parents that they would be protected from the evils of the uh, big city and they would be uh, occupied, speaking of being occupied, with healthy, uplifting labor that would prevent them from being susceptible to the temptations of, of uh, the city streets. And uh, lots and lots of families fell for it and shipped their daughters up to New England to basically become wage slaves and have no rights whatsoever. Uh, in 1912 though, and we're celebrating the centennial of that just this year, there was a law passed in Massachusetts to require the owners of those mills not to uh, force the uh, girls who were working there to work more than a 10 hour day. They moved uh, the 15 hour days to 10 hour days. And that passed the, uh, the, the state legislature in Massachusetts. It was a, a watershed moment in labor history. So what did the owners of the mills do? They cut their wages prorated for every hour that they were no longer going to be forced to work at those heavy mills. And the wages were cut by 
1912 wages 32 cents a week. Doesn't sound like much. You can hardly even, uh, you know, buy a, a package of bubble gum for 32 cents. But in 1912, you could buy 10 loaves of bread for 32 cents. So that's what they were being uh, docked. Uh, as a result, they went on strike in Lawrence, Massachusetts with the help of the uh, the most uh, romantic and uh, 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 poetic and musical union in American history. That was the uh, industrial workers of the world, the IWW. Some people call them the I Won't Work Union. Yeah. And uh, I brought their songbook with me, the Little Red Songbook, still in print after uh, more than a, a hundred years. Uh, this edition comes from 1968, but uh, they're still printing them today. And it was in this songbook that the songs of Joe Hill and Ralph Chaplin and T-Bone Slim and others first appeared. So I want to sing you a song for the strike that they won in 1912, because it was with the help of some very creative labor organizers that they managed to uh, defeat the Millones. Uh, the there had been a poem written the year before and published in December of 1911 by James Oppenheim called Bread and Roses and the bread was obvious that was uh, not a symbol that was a description of what they were working for every single day and virtually every hour of the day but roses was something new that was a way of symbolizing what the eight-hour day meant or even the ten-hour day meant. It was time to do something besides have to work to earn your bread. Time to be able to go to school, time to take classes, time to write a poem, time to appreciate nature, time to do what uh, children are uh, considered to have the right to do in a decent society. So that became the symbol for the eight-hour day and that's the banner that I brought for uh, the show tonight uh, made by a friend of mine, Valerie Cooley. So here's the song that was set to music by Caroline Colsat right around the time, right around 1912. The last line repeats in every verse, so you can all sing it with me. As we come marching, marching in the beauty of the day, a million darkened kitchens, a dark, a thousand mill lost gray, are struck with all the radiance, a sudden sun for the people here us singing bread and roses bread and roses now your turn the people here us singing bread and roses bread and roses as we come marching marching we battle to four men for they are women's children and we mother them again our lives shall not be sweated from birth until life closes hearts starve as well as bodies give us bread but 
Give us roses, heart star, as well as bodies. Give us bread, but give us roses. As we come marching, marching, unnumbered women dead, go riding, go fighting through their singing, their ancient cry for bread, small art and love and beauty, their grudging spirits new, oh yes, it's bread we fight for, but we fight for roses too, oh yes, it's bread we fight for, but we fight for roses too. As we come marching, marching, we bring the greater days, for the rising of the women means the rising of the race. No more the grudge and idler than that toil where one reposes, but a sharing of life's glories, bread and roses, bread and roses, last time, yes, a sharing of life's glories, bread and roses, bread and roses. Speaking of roses and poetry and art and stuff, we're honored to have a, a real poet in the audience. Julia Stein is uh, one of my favorite poets and always an honor to spend, spend the evening in her company. The way in which the bread and roses strike was one is one of the most uh, wonderful things about the history and the lore of that strike. There were a number of uh, well-known or, or eventually to be well-known uh, participants in that strike. Uh, one of them was Margaret Sanger who became well-known for her efforts on behalf of uh, birth control. Um, she was a part of the IWW at the beginning. And uh, El uh, Elizabeth Gurley Flynn, who became uh, immortalized in uh, uh, Joe Hill's song, Rebel Girl. She was the rebel girl that uh, he uh, wrote the song for. Uh, she uh, lived in Los Angeles and, and uh, actually died in Los Angeles, wrote a prison memoir called Rebel Girl. You can still find it. And uh, Big Bill Haywood, who was one of the original organizers of the IWW, who came from the Western Federation of Miners. So uh, uh, I wrote a song about Big Bill and how they won the strike, and I'll sing that for you. Thank you. 
feet four, two hundred pounds, a giant of a man. And yet he could hold a child's heart in the palm of his big right hand. He'd come there to fight for the workers at the Lawrence Textile Mill. The bosses thought they could break their strike, but they couldn't break Big Bill. He was born in Salt Lake City in 1869. At the age of only 15 years, he was working in the mines. His name was William D. Haywood, but everyone called him Big Bill. The original wobbly from the wild west and a dangerous radical. Here's the chorus. When they needed a song to cut through the lies, they called Joe Hill. But when they needed to organize, they called Big Bill. From the copper mines in Butte, Montana, to the silver in the Coeur d'Alene, whenever the miners went out on strike, it was Big Bill who fanned the flames. He helped organize the Wobblies. Chicago, 1905. The industrial workers of the world didn't know it, but their moment was soon to arrive. It came in January 1912, the year the Titanic went down. That the poorest of the poor just got poorer in that Massachusetts mill town. Their wages were cut by 32 cents. That's 10 loaves of bread each week. So they turned to the man who led his first strike at the coal mines in Cripple Creek. When they needed a song to cut through the lies, they called Joe Hill. But when they needed to organize, they called Big Bill. They carried him down the streets of their town, 25,000 strong. They lifted him to the speaker's stand to address their mighty throng. He told them your children should be in school instead of slaving in these mills. Let's send them out where the country can see them because they don't believe Big Bill. So they loaded their children on the trains to New York in the clothes they usually wore. And the people gasped as the trains pulled in to see kids who looked so poor. They were dressed in rags, there wasn't a stitch of wool upon their back. And yet it was they who'd spun the wool for the people who lined that track. When they needed a song to cut through the lies, they called Joe Hill. But when they needed to organize, they called Big Bill. When the news got out, 
around about the lies they told. The bosses knew they were done. They shortened their hours and raised their wages. What a victory the workers had won. It spread throughout New England as the other mills fell into line. We want bread and roses too, said a young girl's picket sign. Suddenly the Wobblies were famous. They'd done, they'd done what he promised they'd do. Went down in the gutter where the other half lives. The outcasts and misfits too. Miners and immigrants, women and kids from every color and tongue. And organized them into one big union. And that's why their songs are still sung. Last time when they needed a song, they cut through the lies they called Joe Hill. But when they needed to organize, they called Bill Haywood's uh, compatriot, compadre, we might say today. And he was the seminal songwriter of the labor movement. And then wound up uh, being martyred in Salt Lake City, Utah, November 19, 1915. Uh, he had only joined the Wobblies five years before. 1910, right here in Southern California on the docks in San Pedro. So in five years, he created uh, a legacy that has uh, stood the test of time for more than a century now. And I want to sing you one of Joe Hill's great songs. It was Joe Hill who gave the line, don't mourn, organize, to the labor movement. Uh, the night before he was to be executed, he wrote uh, his will and sent it back to Chicago to Big Bill Haywood. And he said, when I'm gone, Bill, he said, don't mourn for me, organize. And that became the mantra of the American labor movement. I want to tell you a story to kind of illustrate what that line means. About two fellows walking down a country road and suddenly a rattlesnake slithers in front of them. And one of the guys says, oh my God, let's get out of here. That's a rattlesnake. We don't want to be anywhere nearby. And his friend said, what are you so worried about? It's just one little old rattler. And he pulls out a pocket knife from his back pocket and with his teeth opens it up, picks up the rattlesnake with his other hand, slices off his head and flings him into the bushes to the utter amazement of his friend who said, my God, he said, I have never seen anybody as courageous as you. My Jesus, picking up a rattlesnake with your bare hands like that. Where did you get that kind of courage? He says, what are you talking about? It's just one little old rattler, for God's sake. So they keep on walking down that country road. Quarter mile down, there's a hornet's nest sitting up on a fence post. 
And that same fellow who had dispatched that rattler saw the hornet's nest, grabbed his friend's hand. He says, that's a hornet's nest. Let's get the hell out of here. And he pulled him under the fence post to start racing across the cornfield. His friend says, I can't run any faster. I've got to rest. He said, what in the world happened to your courage? I saw you back there just 10 minutes ago, the bravest man I ever knew. And here you are running like a scared rabbit. What happened to your courage? His friend said, Mister, you've got to remember something. Them hornets is organized. <laughs> well, on those city streets a hundred years ago when they were organizing, there were crowds of people just like today. And they were standing around listening to the Salvation Army preacher and the drum majors. And the Wobblies thought, well, they got a crowd out here. All we got to do is get them to cross the street and listen to our message instead of the Salvation Army. So Joe Hill used their tunes, their Christian hymn tunes, and set labor stories and working class lyrics to them. Instead of waiting for pie in the sky when we die, he said, let's have our pie right here on earth. And he said, now the only problem is how do we get them to cross the street and listen to us? He said, uh, let me see. And Joe Hill goes out in the middle of the street and starts shouting at the top of his lungs, help, help, fellow citizens, I've been robbed. Help, help, I've been robbed. <clears throat> well, human curiosity being what it is, the crowd left the Salvation Army preacher and crossed the street and said, who robbed you, fellow citizen? Who robbed you? He says, I've been robbed by the capitalist system, brothers and sisters. Gather around here, and we'll tell you how to overthrow it and get what's coming to us. And then Joe Hill would come out, and he'd sing a song like this. Long-haired preachers come out every night. Tried to tell you what's wrong and what's right But when asked for something to eat They will answer in voices so sweet You will eat, now you gotta sing it back to me You will eat by and by, by and by In that glorious land above the sky Way up high, work and pray, work and pray Live on hay, live on hay You'll get pie in the sky when you die And then everybody at the top of their lungs That's a lie! <laughs> This was not a class in new criticism that Joe Hill was teaching here. He didn't care about paradox, ambiguity, or subtlety of any kind. He wanted to make sure everybody got what they were trying to tell them. So that's what your part is. Are you ready? All right, now the Starvation Army, they play. And they sing and they clap and they pray till they get all your coin on the drum. Then they'll tell you when you're on the bum. You will eat, you will eat by and by, by and by. In that glorious land above the sky, way up high, work and pray. You'll live on hay. You'll get pie in the sky when you die. That's a lie. That's a lie. 
working, let me see, now you work hard for children and wives. Side by side for freedom we'll fight, till this world and its wealth we have gained. To the grafters we'll sing this refrain, everybody, you will leave by and by. In that glorious land above the sky, way up high, work and pray, live on hay. You'll get pie in the sky when you die. That's a lie. Now working folks of all countries unite. Side by side for freedom we'll fight. Till this world and of the till this world and its wealth we have gained. To the grafters we'll sing this refrain. You will eat by and by when you've learned how to cook and to fry. Chop some wood, do you good, do you good. Then you'll eat in that sweet by and by. That's no lie. All right. We're going to skip a few years and do a song Woody Guthrie wrote in 1940. Uh, he uh, came out to Los Angeles. This is also the year of the centennial for Woody Guthrie, July 14th, Bestial Day, 1912. He was born in Okima, Oklahoma. And uh, he got politicized, guess where, in Los Angeles. Came out here and started singing, and one of the groups that uh, wanted to hear him sing was the labor movement in Los Angeles. And it was after one of those meetings that some women came up to him and said, Woody, we've got all these songs about the brothers in the labor movement doing this, and the brothers in the labor movement doing that. She said, can't you write something for the women in the labor movement? So Woody went home and pulled out a popular song from 1910 called Red Wing. There once was an Indian maid, and he changed it to Union Maid. And I want everybody to sing it when we come to the chorus. Are you ready? Ready. was a union maid who never was afraid of the goons and the geese and the company thinks and the deputy shares that made the raids she went to the union hall where the meeting it was called and when that company boys came round she always stood her ground oh you can't scare me i'm sticking to the union i'm sticking to the union everybody i'm sticking to the union again oh you can't scare me i'm sticking to the union I'm sticking to the union till the day I die. Now this union maid was wise to the tricks of the company spies. She'd never be fooled by company stools. She'd always organize the guys. She'd always get her way when they asked for better pay. She'd show her card to the company guard and this is what she'd say. Oh, you can't scare me. I'm sticking to the union. I'm sticking to the union. I'm sticking to the union. Union. Oh, you can't scare me. I'm sticking to the union. I'm sticking to the union till the day I die. Now, uh, that 
that's all what he wrote, just those two verses. But he was in this singing group called the Almanac Singers. And some of them were a little more professional than Woody, and they thought two verses is not enough. You gotta have three verses for a song. So Miller Lampell wrote that verse that a lot of us grew up singing about. If you girls wanna be free, take a little tip from me, get you a man who's a union man and join the ladies' auxiliary. Well, that started sounding pretty old in the 1970s. So a woman in Boston, Terry Dash, added a different third verse, and this is one we'll sing today. So you guys wanna be free, take a little tip from me. Break out of that mold, we've all been sold. You got a fighting history, the fight for women's rights. With the workers must unite, like Mother Jones, just move them bones to the front of every fight. Oh, you can't scare me, I'm sticking to the union. I'm sticking to the union. I'm sticking to the union. Oh, you can't scare me, I'm sticking to the union. I'm sticking to the union till the day I die. Thank you. This song was uh, uh, very well known during the 20th century. Every time uh, May Day would come around uh, and you'd watch the evening news, there'd be, oh, about a half minute segment of May Day over in the Soviet Union, and you'd hear the Red Army singing the Internationale. What they never told you was that the Internationale was sung in America before it was ever sung in the Soviet Union. Why? because it was sung in America before there was a Soviet Union. It was sung in Lawrence, Massachusetts in 1912 in a dozen different European languages. The song went back to the Paris Commune of 1871, written the words by Eugene Potier. And it was translated into English by the IWW. Charles Kerr was the original publisher of the Little Red Songbook, and he translated it and came up with that wonderful line that Franz Fanon used, the wretched of the earth. In the original French, it was la dame de la terre, the damned of the earth. So I'm going to sing you a short version of the Internationale, uh, one opening verse in French, the original, where it was sung, and then we'll sing the version that, uh, was it sung today? At, uh, did you? Not while I was there. Did you, you heard? Oh, wonderful. All right. Arise, ye prisoners of starvation. This song didn't used to mean as much to me as it does now. That's because I sing in nursing homes as well as uh, uh, for other groups of people. And a woman, uh, would hire me once a year to come into the nursing home where her husband was just to sing the Internationale. Uh, she paid me a hundred dollars. That's the most I've ever been paid to sing one song. 
I couldn't just go and sing one song, so I did a show. But I always had to end it with the Internationale. And that's when the song started to mean something to me, because this guy had had a very serious stroke. And he was virtually non-communicado. I mean, he just sat there in his wheelchair. And it was very hard to get any kind of response. And he never got up, except when he heard the Internationale. And it was so incredible to see his hand suddenly clutch this armchair, uh, the, 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 the arms of the, of the wheelchair, and actually force himself up out of the wheelchair because he knew that's the way you had to sing the International. I'm not going to ask you to do that. But when I saw the effort that this, that this uh, uh, invalid went through, just to be able to call back to memory what he had been through in his life and when he had sung that song, uh, it, it, was, it was so moving that uh, I've never stopped singing it. And uh, shows you the power of music. The bula for Cadelafel, the raison ton and son protera, seller of Sion de la Fen, to possess on Tabla Rasa, full of squall, the boo, the boo, the mon vachons et Nous ne sommes rien soyons tout. C'est le bout et Now you sing with me. Arise, ye prisoners of starvation. Arise, ye wretched of the earth. For justice thunders condemnation. A new world is in Traditions change shall bind us, no more keep us in thrall. The world shall rise on new foundations, we have been not, we shall be all. Tis the final conflict, let each stand in his place. For the grand industrial union shall be the human race tis the final conflict let each stand in his place for the international working class shall be the human race
Does anybody have any favorite old labor songs that you were hoping you wouldn't miss tonight? Who asked for Joe Hill? Oh. Um, the controversy surrounding Joe Hill's uh, conviction and execution in Utah has pretty much continued unabated uh, for more than, uh, well, almost a century now. And uh, very little new information has uh, ever surfaced about the, the case until this last year. And a new book has been published called The Man Who Never Died, title from this song. Um, do you have it here? Okay, wonderful. And, and actually, uh, it, for the first time uh, in, in nearly a century, new information is presented in that book that came to light uh, that had been um, uh, left by the woman Joe Hill claimed that he was with the night he was supposed to have been uh, killing a grocer in Salt Lake City. And so if you want to kind of open, open up the uh, uh, case for yourselves and, and see what is now known about it and, and what is available, that's a wonderful book to uh, take with you. Especially on May Day. Alfred Hayes wrote the poem about Joe Hill and 10 years uh, after he died. And then it was set to music by Earl Robinson uh, around 1925, and it was recorded by Paul Robeson originally. Since, of course, many other people, including Joan Baez, who recorded this song, she sang it at Woodstock. Those were the days when singing Joe Hill could uh, actually benefit your career. When Paul Robeson sang Joe Hill, it was a ticket to the, uh, to the blacklist. So times have changed, and uh, uh, the line repeats at the end of each verse, just like in Bread and Roses, so I hope you'll do it with me. You ready? I dreamed I saw Joe Hill last night, alive as you or me. Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. Everybody, I never died, says he. The copper bosses killed you, Joe. They killed you, Joe, says I. They framed you on a murder charge, says Joe. I didn't die, says Joe. I didn't die. In Salt Lake, Joe, they killed you. Stand 
days Says Joe They could never kill Went on to organize Went on to organize From Salt Lake City I'm sorry uh, uh, From Salt Lake What? From San Diego up to Maine, thank you, Mary. And every mine and mill where workers strike and organize, it's there you'll find Joe Hill. It's there you'll find Joe Hill. Joe Hill ain't dead. He says to me, Joe Hill ain't never died. Where working folks are out on strike, Joe Hill is by their side. Joe Hill is at their side. Once more, I dreamed I saw Joe Hill last night. Alive as you or me, says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. I never died, says he. Thank you. Meg, what time are we getting to? 8.32. Let me tell you one more story before we sing Solidarity Forever. Got this story from Pete Seeger about a fella who was having a good day. He was a worker and uh, dug ditches for a living. And found out one day that his boss had given him a raise of 15 cents a week. And when he found that out, he got up that morning, picked up his shovel to go to work. And as he was working, as he was walking to work with his shovel over his shoulder, he was just so happy and carefree that he was whistling a happy tune. <coughs> So as he's whistling, the shovel is dancing up and down on his shoulder. There's a little clump of dirt in the back of the shovel where two little maggots happen to be living rent-free. And as he's walking and singing and whistling and the shovel is bouncing up and down on that little clump of dirt, finally those two little maggots shake loose and one of them falls down into the curb and bounces off the curb and lands smack dab in the carcass of a very dead cat. But his brother didn't get that far. He hit the curb and just fell right into the crack on the curb, all the way to the bottom. Well, the fellow that fell into that dead cat, he couldn't believe his good fortune. 
He woke up and he saw all of this wonderful food around him. He just started eating and eating. Like there was no tomorrow. He ate and he ate and he ate for three days. He completely stuffed himself. He could barely walk. But finally, when he's totally sated with food and cannot eat another bite, he starts to mm, stretch his arms and he thinks, gee, I think I better find out how my brother is doing. So he climbs up out of the carcass of that dead cat and waddles up onto that curb and inches along until he gets to the crack in the curb. And then he looks down and he sees a little speck way at the bottom of that little crack. And he looks down and he hollers, is that you down there, brother? Is that you? And from the bottom of that little crack in the curb, this tiny voice comes up, yes, brother, it's me. The fat little maggot looks down, he says, how you doing down there, brother? His brother looks up, he says, I'm not doing at all well. I haven't had so much as a bite to eat in three straight days. But you, why well, look at you, brother. I've never seen you looking so fat and sleek. He says, to what do you attribute your fantastic success? And the other little maggot looks down. Brains and personality, brother. Brains and personality. So there's your uh, Republican economic philosophy in one little tale from Pete Seeger. Ralph Chaplin wrote this song in West Virginia during a coal miner's strike and uh, kind of closes the circle for this show because he... He didn't have it quite finished, and he brought it up to Chicago uh, when the widow of Albert Parsons, who was one of the Haymarket martyrs, her name was Lucy Parsons, asked Ralph Chaplin if he would do a song for a rally they were having, and he had just almost but not quite finished Solidarity Forever, and because Lucy Parsons asked him to sing at this rally, he finished Solidarity Forever and sang it for the first time for Lucy Parsons and the people in Chicago and people have been singing it ever since not just in America all over the world it celebrated the ideal of the international working class better than any song and in 1989 it inspired Lekwalesa in Gdansk, Poland who was a shipyard worker there to name the union that they had organized solidarity after this old American song. So I want to thank Meg for inviting me to Skylight and hope we can do this again sometime. Happy May Day, everybody. When the union's inspiration, and be sure to buy a book on your way out because, because they have slowed down their business for the last hour. And as I said, a good book to start with would be William Adler's book, The Man Who Never Died. When the union's inspiration through the workers' blood shall run, there can be no power greater anywhere beneath the sun. But what force on earth is weaker than the feeble strength of one? For the union makes us strong. Everybody, solidarity forever. Solidarity forever. Solidarity forever. For the union makes us strong. 
the prairies, built the cities where they trade, dug the mines and built the workshops, endless miles of track of laid. Now we stand outcast and starving midst the wonders we have made, but the union makes us strong. Everybody now, solidarity forever, solidarity forever, solidarity forever, for the union makes us strong. They have taken untold millions that they never toiled to earn, but without our brains and muscle, not a single wheel can turn. We can break their haughty power, gain our freedom when we learn that the union makes us strong. Solidarity forever, solidarity forever, solidarity forever, for the union makes us strong. In our hands is placed a power greater than their hoarded gold, greater than the might of armies magnified a thousandfold. We can bring to birth a new world from the ashes of the old, for the union makes us strong. Once more, solidarity forever, solidarity As Woody Guthrie said so well, take it easy, but take it. We'll see you next time. You have been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all of our other great podcasts at www.skylightbooks.com. Today's music was provided by Fragile Gang. You can check them out at MySpace, Facebook, and the iTunes Music Store. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.